1: Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Welcome to the common good. It is not a happy looking Monday, if I might say so. I very rarely comment on the weather. It just is... I feel like the weather... Is what Monday feels like to all of us. <laughs> it is a picture it's, of Monday. Right, it's represent. It's embodying <laughs> Mondayness ness in its funny. fullness. Well, if you're interested, you can find us in a couple of places on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. You can call us at 312-660-2594. Plus, Brian and I will be at Panera most of the afternoon. <laughs> Not You sure. just got to figure out which one. Oh, that's funny. It'll
0: well, be a fun them. game. We're just going to be at a Panera. I I mean to be honest with you, most days I find myself
1: at a Panera anyway. So, well, I've, is that a Panera cup in front of yeah, you? That's Starbucks. Oh, that see, Starbucks. well, I thought I was being clever, and yep. it turns out, but. but I do love Panera. <laughs> so, <laughs> like nothing against Panera.
0: So, I've been telling people all the end of last week that you were not going to be here most of this week. So, that's right, and you were not supposed to be here today. Or tomorrow, and you will be, but I'm just... Not curious. like in an existential sense. No, like, Ian, Ian, you're not, not supposed to be here. Literally not supposed <laughs> to be here. So
1: so I will ask it this way. What are you doing here? I'm just hanging out with you, man. <laughs> you missed me so much. I just, yeah, <laughs> I slept in the studio, waited for you to get here. And, uh well, I did, I teed it up, too. I mentioned it. And um, the camp that I was supposed to speak at experienced just this tremendous storm. Yep. Knocked down literally hundreds and hundreds of trees. They lost power, all sorts of damage. And uh, so they weren't able to get power back up in time for the high school camp. Um, they did finally get power up. So our middle schoolers who have the following week, they're going up uh, tomorrow, I believe. So I won't be able to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. But they did get power up. But still, though, if you would like to make a donation, you can go to silverbirchranch.org. And there's a donate button right there. Um, it's been remarkable to see people kind of love and support them because it's a really Beautiful Bible-based church that has experienced. I, I think when they canceled on us for the high schoolers, yeah. it was the first time they'd canceled in 50 years. Oh my gosh! Maybe, I think 52 to be exact. That's so like, crazy. they've just never. It's unprecedented damage, unprecedented repairs, yeah. and uh, they're still waiting to see how insurance is going to pan out. Sure, so sure, like, sure. yeah, if you're if you're the giving type, I highly encourage you to do yep. that. Now, you are going to be missing sometime later in the week, because as you said, you had a vacation
0: coming at the end of that, so it all got screwed up. But, yeah, that's right. Well, um, and I'm going to hang
1: out with some families yeah, for a few right days, yep. so so my uh, my wife's side of the family, we're just going to hang out by the water, and tell stories, and eat good food. And, just uh, my water. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah just, <laughs> that's all I really need to do, is just look at water. So true. And instantly better. All right, so I found this article, and I only found the article and read the headline a lot. This would be fun. You actually we're reading it just a couple of minutes ago yes. and you said, Oh, have you read this yet? And I said, I haven't. And you said, okay, don't, I want to ask you some questions about it having not read it. Yes. So I'm terrified. I'll read the headline and then I'll let you, I'll let you kind of unpack it since I haven't read it. Uh, it says this controversial church sign caused a congregation walkout. Yes. What on earth is going on here? So, uh, the
0: sign in front of Friendship Baptist Church in Appomattox, Virginia, led members to the congregation to walk out before a recent sermon. Here's what the sign said. So it's like any church across the country where they have the sign out front of the church and people put witty things or they put puns or they put, you know, the title of the sermon. And this church, the pastor put this America, love it or leave it. Uh, And it drew national attention in the wake of President Trump's uh, tweet suggesting that four Congresswomen go back to their own country. So this has gotten ugly, right? That whole chant the other day and kind of leave it or love it or, you know, uh, if you're not going to follow us, you should leave. And uh, but here's what I wanted to test you on, because now this pastor is kind of wading into it. Right. right? And we talk a lot on this show about what should pastors do with politics and this and that. And uh so before the sermon this past Sunday, here's how I'll set it up. 20 people after the after
1: it was talked about, 20 people before he preached the sermon walked out. So a 20-person walkout. Wait, so they showed up, saw the sign, still entered, and walked out before the sermon started? My guess is that they were congregants who were going to make a point. Got they it, said, okay. we want to make a point. Got so it.
0: they walked out in protest before the sermon began. I want to ask you two questions. Oh, boy. Uh, how many people remained? So 20 walkout. How many people remain? Okay. And...
1: How old is Pastor E. W. Lucas? Because I think it plays a little bit into this. Oh, interesting. Okay, so there is a picture of the sign. It's a pretty nice sign. Yeah, there you go. So I'm going to say based on that's a this I've never been asked a question. Twenty walked out. Twenty walked out. There remained uh, 150.
0: Uh, Close. Ten people remained. (laughs) Ten people remained. So wait, okay, hold on. Twenty of 30 walked out. Correct. Wow. Correct.
1: So, okay. And, you know, I don't know why I bring this up, but age of the pastor. 17. <laughs> you don't mean that. <laughs> I, maybe I do. Maybe I'm just a really bad guesser. Maybe <laughs> E.W. Lucas is 85 years old. Okay, and, so, and why do you think that's significant?
0: I don't know. But <laughs> I think the first part is significant in this. And I do think there's an important conversation to have around here. But it got made. I saw this in other things. So this is a nationwide story. And it this is coming. Uh, they have a picture that it was like leading the news down there. Yeah. And then when you dig a little deep, you're like, okay, it's a 30 person church. Right. Um, and it, it reminds
1: me of uh, Westboro Baptist thank Church, you, which is at
0: most 40 people.
1: Well, 50 no, people. And, their, and their height, it was about 80. OK, but I actually just listened to an interview from the daughter that got out. She did a TED talk who I would love to have on the show sometime, by the way. But she said, yeah, it was about 80 people. But the vast majority are immediate and extended family of Fred Phelps. Exactly. Her grandpa. Sa- same
0: kind of situation. And so I think it is significant for this reason. People put these things when they're on the news or they're going nationwide. It begins to be this really. Uh, easy slash lazy caricature of Christians, Hmm. right? Like, oh, look, another church. And you're like, okay. And it's probably unfair of me to throw out the age of the guy. When I read it, I was like, I bet you it's an old guy in a small church. Interesting. There we go. Interesting. Um, And so he's like, but I do appreciate, uh, I've started using some of your language in terms of like um, the danger of, of intermingling our patriotism uh with uh our christianity and, and, it, the, and that, like the flag and the cross holding that's exactly hands exactly yeah that's exactly in the increasing danger that's there as we get closer and closer as we get more polarized And this election's mm. coming um you know the conversation used to be around uh should you uh sing the national anthem at your fourth of july you know that kind of right, thing and right. now it's gotten to like you know, making political stands like this guy's like, I love my country. So I felt like I needed to preach a sermon saying, love it or leave it. You're like, what? Yeah. Like that's not the point of
1: church. Yeah. Well, and I, I wonder too, what's going I mean, I would like, and I really do mean this. I'd love to have someone like him on the show because I am legitimately curious. What is going through your mind? Because it made me think of obviously the Westboro Baptist church, yep. which is, um, it's, it's more than just, Oh, it's too bad that they're getting all this coverage. It's, Evil. Like yeah. it's just outright hate But I remember a few years ago, there was a guy who was threatening to burn some Quran's and he made national headlines. And, you know, yep. being from Dearborn, that was like a very close-to-home story for me. And come to find out, same thing. Church of 40, 50 people. I was like, why are we giving this guy exactly. international coverage for being just completely unreasonable and i and i'm not so much a conspiracy theorist that i think oh it's the media that's simply trying to portray christians this way i don't i don't know that that's always the case in fact i think a lot of people that i'm interacting with are even saying they're they're not jesus people at all and they're like we need more people to act like jesus yep. so i'm not team bible church any of that but we need you guys too so yep. would you so i'm curious why you think you know in 10 seconds or less why do the stories like this keep cropping up why do they keep gaining all this traction when you and I both know like, Oh, that's a, that's a vast minority of people. I think it plays,
0: like you said, into a narrative that, uh, you know, that, that gets clicks. <laughs> it gets people yeah, to watch yeah, the show. That's unfortunate. And I don't want to be that cynical, but I think it basically just comes down to that. Like people look at this, Oh, this church, this pastor, boom, I'm clicking on that. And yeah, away we go. I think that's it. Like I think well, that, we're talking about it right now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, but I do think there's a lesson in here for people Uh, who are Christ followers, who are feeling themselves increasingly uh, emotionally charged and passionately driven uh, uh, over politics right now. It does cause us, I think we're going to need to do a lot of moments of stepping back and asking, how should I be
1: responding right now? Yeah, that's good. I think that might be a good segue, actually. What we're talking about next is the hashtag Christian privilege was trending on Saturday and uh, when I saw that, I was like, I don't quite know what this means yep. or what, where this will point, but uh, I want to talk about it a little bit because I think there's some really important implications of so that's coming up next on the common good on AM 1160 hope for your life. everyone welcome back to the common good we are talking about all sorts of fun topics today it is a feisty show already yes Have we were called our show feisty yeah i think we should do that more often do you think so yeah it's monday and dark
0: outside so <laughs> fireworks feel- works in here <laughs> That legitimately caught me off guard I can feel my heart rate increasing i you just going to keep yelling at you today You
1: made intense eye contact and then yelled the word Fireworks And I need to sit down Holy cow All right, so uh, I mentioned earlier The hashtag Christian Privilege was trending on Saturday And uh, so we have this shared Google Doc Where you and I will just kind of dump all these links and stories So you had kind of suggested this topic And it just said Christian Privilege Uh, is trending so i hopped on over to twitter like a like a good like a good american and uh and honestly it took me a while to even realize what was going on i was like okay this doesn't seem like it's started by any one particular position or posture it seemed really messy and then of course as twitter often gets it got pretty contentious and pretty pretty dark but i'm curious why you thought this would be an interesting story and and how you kind of came to know that it was trending in the first place and what do, we, what do we do with all that? Yeah, I only came to know that it was trending just because I was
0: on Twitter. Oh, but so you saw it like... I saw it trending over there. Going, the okay. Like I'm, you know, right now I'm I'm mostly concerned about the Major League Baseball trade deadline that's coming up. So I hop right. on Twitter, get the rumors, and I was looking and it's like, oh, well, look, what is Whoa, this? Looky here. <laughs> and like you said, I made the mistake of clicking on it and it, it was brutal. Um, and I encourage you, after I've just called it brutal, go ahead on Twitter and type it in and see what comes up. Um, and I think what struck me as odd f- was a couple reasons or well, the reason I thought it would be interesting to discuss is for a couple reasons. One is I don't really know what it means. <laughs> like mm. when and this article that you then uh, link to it from relevant, uh, they kind of wrestle with like, what exactly are we saying? Like when we say that there is privilege to be a Christian in our what are we saying? Who, who are we talking about? Right. And then whether I agree or disagree about it. I think another interesting thing about this is the fact that there is a wide section of our culture that does believe uh, that probably is a wide uh, section of our people uh, who aren't believers, who aren't Christians, who do believe that Christians have a privileged standing. And man, that's not how the Bible talks about Christianity. And that's also not helpful for us. And so I guess I want to think about why would somebody who is not a Christian look at Christians and go, Oh, you've got privileged status in our culture. Yeah. Right. When I don't, necessarily feel that way it doesn't mean it does is or isn't true Hmm. um it it felt very slippery to me like what exactly we're talking about and i want to get away from the twitter part just because twitter you know you can hashtag anything and now it was trending but you can hashtag anything it's just this concept i think that is really interesting and now understand this is a a very much uh America centric conversation, yes, right? Right, uh, right. It would be pretty insulting, this article says, to talk about Christian privilege for the people of North Korea, Pakistan, Somalia, Sudan. Those articles we often bring here about um, uh, people being martyred for their faith and this and that. And so, uh, you know, but even Christians in our country will talk a lot about how we feel like culture is going against us. Right. So the concept of the word privilege here. Um, is really something to wrestle with because it is
1: completely from the other. Uh, it's a completely from the other side of how we normally talk. Well, and I I do also have to say that the hashtag that originally started trending spelled the word privilege wrong. Is that right? Yeah, I but always misspell the word privilege. Everyone does apparently, always. but the, I mean the original trending hashtag. Put a D in it. There is no D in the word privilege. I so. don't
0: put that there. I never <laughs> you know, know what what? the A's and the E's
1: go in privilege. I can't do restaurant or Ooh, uh, yes, laundry. Laundry. <laughs> let's just let's just riff on that. <laughs> words we can't spell. Uh, okay, so that was just sort of a funny aside. They're both trending now: the correct spelling and no, the incorrect spelling. So you can find it for yourself if you want. But there's an article I found. So I think it's probably worth defining privilege first, which simply is a special right advantage or immunity granted or available only to a particular person or a group of people. So mm-hmm. that's a pretty level handed definition of privilege, I think. Right. Okay. So this article yep. goes on to say, now that we've settled on privilege, uh, on privilege, meaning and an exclusive special right or advantage, let's make a final incision to the still broad bulk of potential rabbit trails and apply this definition to refer to sy- uh, systemic privilege, meaning institutional at either a governmental, legal or culturally predominant and normative level in a way that, uh, that that uh, is advantageous to one group of people over the other, simply on the basis of the Christian identity. Our question and launching point for subsequent discussion is a bit clearer. Now does Christian privilege defined as the systemic inherent advantage to Christians solely on the base of their faith exist today in the United States of America hmm. to that question. I'm curious what you, what you would say.
0: So I also think it goes back to something we talk about often. Like how do you even define who are the Christians in right. our culture? Right. Can you say that Christianity has been the dominant religion by just percentages in our culture, uh, in our history? Yeah, and so with a majority tends to come privilege, right? Um, uh, but I don't think. Yeah, I don't. This is where you and I get ourselves in trouble just kind of talking these things out in front of a microphone because I'm not in trouble yet. I don't. I don't see where my my faith gives me privilege within our culture. Like I, I don't see it. Um, but my Muslim friends out there could be saying, well, that's part of the point that you can't see it the same way that, you know, uh, we talk about that racially or economically. Um, I do feel like, and I've said this before, I do feel like our culture is, is moving away from, um, those people who really are, uh, living as Christ followers and, and desiring to do that. I don't feel like it's moving towards me having an advantage. I mean, we talk about how generations ago going to a Christian church uh, was good for business. Mm. Uh, and that like that kind of goes under this umbrella for me. I don't, I don't feel that in our culture right now. Um, but I'm also fully understanding that I've never lived outside the Christian <laughs> bubble and culture and belief set in my life. So Well and you're white
1: which is another aspect that's another it it needs to be. And I think maybe we should take a deep dive one of these days into white privilege specifically, because I think that there's probably some cross pollination. This isn't a great example, but I thought of remember a couple years ago when Christians were, and I don't even know how many actually were, but they're freaking out about the new Starbucks cup removing Merry Christmas. And there was this whole like social media launch to like put Merry Christmas back in the Starbucks cups. And I thought, is this our big persecution? Right. American Christians, this is our thing. Like, this is the hill we want to die on. And again, it may have just been a couple of people on Twitter, violent a bunch of people up that weren't, you know, maybe the vast majority weren't really upset. But I think about Christian privilege in terms of how do we actually care for the least of these? Yep. How do our churches and finances and resources and energies actually go to serve the people? And I'm not even really making a nod towards anything in the current sphere right now. Yep. I'm just saying... Does, does that look differently for the Christ follower in East Africa for the Christ follower in Brazil? I think it does. I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but I, what I do know is that if I read Philippians two correctly, that if Jesus is our model of one who emptied himself, yep. who did not consider equality of God, something to you know be grasped, that's, you know, that means to be clung to hmm. then at the very least, even if like, and I appreciate you saying, I don't know that I see it on myself, but if it's there, we need to empty ourselves of it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that means not freaking out about Starbucks cups, but maybe it means taking a better, deeper dive into looking at our finances and the way that, you know, even Brian and Ian in pulpits talk yep. about Jesus caring for the least of these, and then actually adding up the hours of my day and saying, mm-hmm. how did I care for the least of these? Yeah, I think, you, you make know,
0: a great point. And I do think, uh, to use the terminology and I saw somebody do this on Twitter. It is the Christian's privilege, uh, to go and serve others and to lay down your life, the Mm. things the Bible talks about. And we Mm. probably don't do that very well. Mm. (laughs) And uh, we probably live in a culture that doesn't even put that in front of us. And I think to to, to close this and put this on those of us here uh, who are listening, who are Christians, who are Christ followers, understand your privilege as a Christ follower is to live as Jesus lived and serve other people uh, put other people before yourself and not look for the seat of power, but to to elevate others like to to use the terminology. And I know this wasn't what the hashtag was
1: about, but uh, that's our privilege. And that's what we should be searching for. That's what we should be aiming for. Well, it is the perfect irony that you were preaching there, Brian, from because coming up next, I want to talk about. What did you preach yesterday? We do this on Mondays because Mondays are very weird days for pastors. So if for no one else, Brian and I are just going to kind of talk a little bit about what we preached yesterday. That's what's coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Stricken, handle business, not a joke, yeah, manners missing, travel different, no control, yeah, time to listen, time to zip it, keep it close, my description, highly gifted, take some notes, yeah, lack of interest, why'd you visit, hit the road, yeah, kind of twisted, so keep hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good, my name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. That song is from the artist NF called Leave Me Alone, which is going to be relevant a little bit later in our conversation that actually has something to do with the topic that we tackled At our church on Sunday, but we're not going to go there yet. Okay. I want to learn a little bit about Brian Fromm and his weekend. If you're just joining us for the first time ever, Brian and I are both pastors. Monday's a weird day for us for a number of reasons, but we like to talk a little bit about what it is that we preached and uh what sunday felt like this is kind of getting into the head a little bit of the pastor following the sermon yeah which i actually think is kind of interesting and maybe it's only <laughs> interesting for us i don't know if it's, anyone else cares it's but. comforting because you and i are both think like, oh good you think that way yeah too. right okay, right good. well that's the thing it's not just a summary it's not just a yep. recap it's sort of like here's where we went here's where i think it landed here's where, what i felt good about it. here's what i i struggled with yep. and i think uh Honestly, the more that we've done this, the more I think pastors should be doing this in general. Yeah. Like meeting up on Mondays with other pastors and just talking about how the day went. Yeah. Because I've enjoyed it a lot. I have too. And so yesterday was week two for us out of uh, the book of 1 John.
0: So we're taking the rest of the summer going through 1 John. And, uh, you know, I thought it would be just a layup for me because in the text that we're doing for yesterday is 1 John 1 9. <laughs> so you're like, well, boom, yeah. well here we go. <laughs> And this is a little inside for you on just, I really struggled just writing it. I don't know why. Well, not like about anything. Do you ever, this is probably where it helps that you guys do some collaboration and stuff, but you know, when you write a sermon and you're just like, I don't feel like it's there yet. I don't feel like it's there yet. And I went to bed Saturday night going, I went to bed Saturday night going, it's not there yet. Yeah. And
1: I wouldn't be able to sleep.
0: Yeah. I went to bed Saturday night going, okay, it's, the, the weird part is about writing a message and like preaching is like it was done on Saturday night to the point that it could be preached. Uh, okay. But you're like, I still am, so, ah, yeah, something. Yeah. Right. Uh, and you don't know
1: what that something is, by yeah, the way. Exactly. It's so just a, I'm like, it's a feeling I'm, in your gut. I'm
0: going to get up Sunday morning, get there early. I'm going to read through it, make edits, read through it until. Yeah.
1: And, uh,
0: and uh, it was funny. I woke up Sunday morning. None of this is about exactly what I preached, but I woke hmm. up Sunday morning with just like I woke up nervous and anxious more Not so than about, usual. It was weird. Huh. It was just really weird because I think I knew that I wasn't fully ready. By hmm. the time I preached, I felt good about it, and uh, it talks about. Um, but it was just a weird process that I. Think yeah, no kidding. It was awkward, and so First John chapter one verse five says. Uh, here's the good message that we have for you. God is light. And we talked about what Mm -hmm. it means that God is light, morally perfect and all this other stuff. And so it turned into a God is without sin. We are, uh, but humanity has a sin problem. So it turned into very much a gospel message. And then the whole message did turn on first John one, nine. It was a, what do you do? You know, he says, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Right? So we often do that. Hmm. Uh, but if we confess our sins and then that was that, that promise is unbelievable. And that's what I tried to leave people with is that it is a promise. It is a promise that if you confess your sins, uh, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And we talked about this concept of cleansing and purity. Uh, and I used a Woody Allen quote, actually Woody Allen, very much an atheist. Yeah. Uh, in an interview was asked by somebody, I'm going to do this off my head. He was essentially asked, I understand you don't believe there's a God, but if there was a God Hmm. and that God would speak to you, what do you wish God would say? Hmm. And Woody Allen said, if there was a God who was inclined to speak to me, I wish he would only say three words. You are forgiven. Wow and I said you know tried to unpack like that's an atheist saying that and that's like the deepest longing of his heart he just said, to hear you those words. are forgiven and the good news of of first John one is that literally as we say you know uh, as we have three other words I have sinned he says you are forgiven yeah you are cleansed and so that was great and then we took some time for people just to sit in quiet and silence and just reflect and confess wow. and spend that time so it was good it was it was, not, uh, it was not a sermon that came easily, but I felt good about it. So yeah. how about you? I know you didn't preach. I only know that because you weren't <laughs> supposed to be there. You
1: were supposed to be away. At the camp, right. Uh, right. As is the case, things always change. So. They, well, this is the fun of, uh, of being a part of a multi-site church, too. So I was at our Lincoln Park Old Town campus mm-hmm. in the city. Uh, my dear, dear friend, Jeremiah Higgins, is the arts director there. They just had a beautiful baby the day before. So my other good friend and so Pat- took off Sunday? Yeah, yeah, what a punk, right? <laughs> uh so my other good friend Pat Nelson uh was a guest leader there. He leads our Donner's Grove location. I so know him. Perhaps yep. you've I know met of him. him. Yep. So uh so actually so it was a, a third in the third in a three part series that we've called Conversations that we pre-recorded these interviews and then we show it three different parts in the summer. So we've talked about racism and mass incarceration. And yesterday was an interview with Jamie Tworkowski on mental health. I don't know if you know that name. I don't. So he founded uh, an organization called to write love on her arms about uh, depression, mental health, self harm. Wow. And the crazy thing is he started this organization Kind of accidentally, he wrote a like a blog post about uh, this girl who had been harming herself and the beginning of this whole story. Uh, in a crazy turn of events, I'm actually friends with that girl. No way. And he's launched this this whole ministry as a result of that, and they resource people. I mean, honestly, if you're listening you're even thinking, this is a topic I'm interested in, go to to write love on her arms.com. To write love on her arms. To write love on her uh, arms, okay. on her arms or, or just the first letters of each of those. I think, yep. just type it into Google, to write. That's T-W- What you're doing now. (laughs) (laughs) L-O, yeah. Um, But the interview was brilliant because, I mean, even in it, he talks pretty bluntly about he himself is someone who struggles with depression and talks about even the hurdle of being someone who stands on stages, telling people, like, God loves you, he sees you. It's actually more than okay uh, to seek counseling, to seek help, to take medication. He's like, but for me, I really struggled to actually start taking medication myself uh, or to seek counseling. So I was standing on stage of telling people these things and it was really, I, yeah, the, the reason I was actually at the campus is because following the video interview, we wanted to actually walk people through a time of prayer and support okay. and offered these prompts. You know, the, the Psalmist says that the Lord is near the brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. and maybe you're brokenhearted, or you know someone who is. And I talked a little bit about how the Bible is filled with these stories of people who aren't just like a little miffed. They're, heartbroken King yep. Solomon, King David, Jeremiah, yep. Job. These are people who are racked. And I said, if the Bible doesn't feel the need to hide these stories, then maybe we don't either. Mm. And it's okay to not be okay. Yep. Just don't go it alone. Yep. God is for you. He sees you like that kind of stuff is the kind of stuff that I, I, I never could have anticipated and hearing stories from all of our campuses. It sounds like it was actually really, it was just a powerful day through and through. And uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that takes topics like this seriously. Yeah. Because it's the kind of thing that statistically, and he gave stats in the video and you can actually watch the video. It's it's up there now. If you want to go to dot uh, and you can click on resources and watch the 25 minute interview, but some of the stats that he gives out, like he said, two out of three people with depression won't seek help. Two out of three, two out of wow. three. So when he gives these like raw numbers of how many people it affects, it's like, all right, well, some people say like, well, that's not really a church thing. We're not gonna really talk about that. And I think, man, The the church is is for people and bringing gospel-centered truth to their lives, and if even half of his stats are even remotely true, then, uh, yeah, personally, I'm really grateful to be a part of a church that talks about it. That is
0: what It was, uh, I mentioned, probably too soon to know the feedback, or not feedback, but the impact it had on people in your church, because it does feel like, at least I know in our church, whenever we open up the conversation to hard topics like that, uh, the the floodgates
1: kind of open in a good way. Yeah. And uh, hopefully that happens for you guys across your campuses. Well, and we, our prayer teams are remarkable. And so in you know, most of our campuses, we had prayer teams already mobilized oh, okay. to stand in the back or in the wings somewhere. So we actually carved out space for people to go receive prayer and just have awesome. That's kind of what we said. It's okay to not be okay, but don't go it alone. Yep. Right? We, we need each other, which is, I just think is so important. And again, that, that website for him is to write love on our arms. You can go to twl. O-H-A that's to write love on her arms dot com and uh, highly highly encourage you to check that out there's a lot of really really great resources there well coming up next uh, nine reasons that faith and certainty are actually not the same thing at all mm-hmm. Brian and I are going to take a deep dive into this really important topic coming up next on the common good on AM 1160 hope for your life hey everyone how are you going on with your day let's talk about you for a second we've been talking this whole time it's always about us let's give you uh, a I chance don't. let's give you a chance what's your day been like where are you going what are you driving what are you eating that's, that's enough <laughs> <laughs> my name's ian that smirk is that's brian funny here on the common good you can find us on facebook the common good radio show 1160 hope.com slash the common good and uh, i found this article uh, it's called nine reasons that faith and certainty are not the same thing. Let me just read the opening paragraph because I feel like I've tried to say things like this. And this person says it so much better, so much more articulate. It says, uh, one of the things that Christians typically believe in and that I've struggled with a great deal is the concept of faith. Like most Christians, I once assumed a person's faith is as strong as that person is certain. And accordingly, I assume that doubt is the enemy of faith. That is after all, how Christians generally talk. This conception of faith raises a number of perfectly legitimate questions, the kind that we are often told not to ask, but I ask them nonetheless. For example, scripture teaches us that we are saved by faith and that the power of prayer, whether for healing or for some other blessing is directly connected to a person's faith. But I've always wondered why would God place a premium on one's ability to convince oneself that something is true? What is Uh, Particularly virtuous about one's ability to push doubt aside and make oneself feel certain. So, through the years, I found nine reasons why faith is not the same as certainty and we're going to kind of dive into these nine and I don't know if you have you read this yet Ryan? I if not okay nope. so I'll just be curious in real time kind of getting your reactions about this whole concept and before we dive into the nine I, I'd love to know where you stand with sort of this faith versus kind of certainty dance yeah it, I would say that when I was younger uh, I would
0: have actually been more uncomfortable with stuff like this really? and um, I do think uh, that I think a lot of times when we speak of having certainty about everything, we don't, but we just think that's what we're supposed to say. Right. And so, um, you know, I think we can be certain about some foundational things, but some of it, you know, uh, our minds have a hard time getting around, to, you know, the concept of God and, and
1: his uh, and His glory and all that's going on. And so I think this, this makes a good point. Yeah, I totally agree. There's a quote that I actually have shared a couple of times that I'll share before we dive into this list from uh, Tim Keller, who I think is Prolific prophetic he has a very strange way of I think bridging both sides of an argument really well agreed and he says a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it people who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do, will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. Mm. Uh, And then he goes on to say, a person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Mm. So he's really saying these are healthy and important to faith. And when we create doubt as sort of this like, enemy to faith i think the implications can be really really dangerous So why don't you jump in here at number number one
0: yeah number one here of his nine reasons uh why faith is not the same thing as certainty he says there's nothing virtuous about the ability to make yourself feel certain about things the more rational a person is the less they have this ability the more simple or gullible they are the better they'll be god loves simple and gullible people but there's no reason to think that they're saints <laughs> trying to feel certain for uh trying to feel certain your beliefs are right and trying to avoid doubt is irrational and reduces faith to a form of mental gimmickry to sum that up he says just not being honest with yourself yeah, You're just not
1: being honest if you say i never doubt interesting all right number 2 uh, having people believe that their salvation and other things, like whether your friend lives or dies, hang upon how certain you feel about things, is psychologically torturous and proposes an ugly, domineering, controlling mentor, mental picture of God. What do you think?
0: Hmm. Again, it, it, I think one of the dangers continues to always is when we put ourselves <laughs> like it's about what we understand, it's right. about what we can control, and right. uh, yeah, it, that. Quickly makes God into uh, pictures of maybe who he's not. Number three, certainty-seeking uh, certainty seeking, certainty-seeking faith looks more like magic than biblical covenantal faith in that it depends upon doing and believing certain things in order to gain God's favor and mm-hmm. manipulate
1: God to benefit ourselves and uh, other. What do you think? Interesting. I, I think the word manipulate there is interesting because I always assume... At least when I hear the word manipulate, I think of culpability, like mm-hmm. conscious culpability. And I think sometimes there are ways that we try to manipulate God in ways that we don't even realize we're doing it. And I think that there certainly can be some of that kind of ingrained in the ways that we, you know, we're trying to like send up a flare to get God to pay attention to us. Like, hey, did you not know my mom was sick? Like, you know, pay attention to me. Yeah, and I think yeah, yeah. That, that can be dangerous. Uh, what are we on? Number four. four. The certainty seeking model of faith leaves us with an inflexible way of approaching our beliefs and makes us vulnerable to various challenges to our belief system. Since everything is a package must buy into in order to feel loved, worthwhile and secure, we cannot afford to think flexibly and therefore are left with a faith that is brittle and easily broken. This, this one we talked about on the show a lot, actually, because if you were handed one specific version of Christianity, that's, you know, meant, meant to be sort of this like airtight, no questions asked, no doubt, no concern. Then you'll either get really aggressive, I think, to any challenge to that, or the whole thing will unravel before your eyes and obviously neither are great. And you kinda of punt on on the other questions that might be hard. Yeah, what right, right. Well, his, his ways are higher than our ways, so yeah. we can't I can't ask those questions. Yep, right. yep.
0: yep. Uh, next one, number five, five. Uh, five thank yeah. you. Believing that one's salvation depends on remaining sufficiently certain about right beliefs can cause people to fear learning things that might make them doubt the rightness of their beliefs. It thus creates a learning phobia that in turn leads many to remain immature in their capacity to objectively, calmly, and lovingly reflect on and debate their beliefs. I love that image. Yeah. Like, why would I want to learn new stuff if learning right. that new stuff might mess with the box I've put
1: God That's in already? Well said, man. All right, I, I want to get through these last three. Yep. Uh, number six. Doubt shunning faith tends to be hypocritical in that Christians see it as sinful for them to doubt, but virtuous for non-Christians to do so. Mm, That's good. Number seven. uh, Certainty seeking faith can be dangerous as it discourages
0: us from seriously questioning our assumptions, even when we are asked to engage in questionable behaviors such as killing people in the service of our beliefs. Right. We can never
1: hold stuff up to question. Yeah, right. No kidding. Number eight. Uh, it's self-serving and self-deceptive to strive to feel certain while also telling yourself you're concerned with truth. A concern for believing the truth requires us to take seriously the possibility that our current beliefs are mistaken. That one we could apply to every social media interaction, every argument, every yep. like. That one I think is maybe the hardest on this whole list. Right. It's this belief that says I've cornered the market
0: on all truth. Like I've yes, been able. Right. It, it's not God is the all truth, but that I have it perfectly understood and I've got it perfectly and anything you say against me well you're wrong
1: because right and that's important and we end up acting like we're god's pr agents Uh like like he needs it like i i have to i gotta really silence your questions because you know i figured it out yep number nine finally and most seriously he writes
0: trying to convince ourselves that we embrace true beliefs can be idolatrous when people feel they are loved have worth and are secure before god uh he writes parenthetically they are saved because they embrace the right beliefs, they are getting their life from their confidence in their beliefs about God rather than from a relationship with God.
1: Absolutely. It makes me actually think of this Frederick Buechner quote. Uh, I think our youth pastor told us when I was in school, he said, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep, <laughs> They keep it awake and moving. That's funny. It's pretty good, though, right? It's sort of actually a much simpler way of saying what Keller said. Like, man, doubts are not this thing to be shunned or shied away from, to take a deep dive into them, to do so, like we'll often say, in the context of community. But we don't have to silence those voices, whether they're internal or something in our community. We can actually dive in together to yep. learn more about our faith and it probably means you're thinking and you're engaging yes. and you're trying to understand more well said well coming up next i'm sure you'll be shocked to know that president trump has been in the news and we're gonna talk about it coming up next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life
0: it's time for a conversation about the things we share in common our common hopes our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts,
1: Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web. I'm not going to tell you where though. You just got to search our names, <laughs> and uh, that'd be f- I wonder if you just type in Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins, what'll show up? Uh probably nothing. Nothing bad, I don't think.
0: I mean, fingers, I mean, fingers, this fingers crossed. This show will come up. Our churches will come up. I think that's about I'm scared, all. I'm
1: scared to do it now. Don't, don't do it. I don't want to know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't tell me.
1: A better place to go: Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, eleven sixty hopecom slash The Common Good. And uh, if you've never joined us before the show is sort of a hodgepodge. It's a veritable smorgasbord of ideas and topics and conversations. And, you know, we've said it from the get go. Our goal is to not tie up every story or every idea with a nice, pretty bow. We know that things are not always black and white. And it seems like people by and large are shouting louder and louder from their echo chambers, from Mm -hmm. their confirmation biases. And we wanted to be a place, hopefully uh, to engage in dialogue, to lean in rather than a way and to maybe better understand the person that we disagree with. And, uh, I don't know that we always do a great job of that, but, um, it's something that I really care about. And I think you do too. And I think it's, it's hard when it comes to topics like this next one. And, uh, some of you are aware that, uh, president Trump has a Twitter account, He's been on there a couple of times, he's and uh, of times. <laughs> and it seems We're like an understatement today. <laughs> every every third or fourth tweet, it seems to catch some kind of media fire, and um, so most recently, uh, he's tweeted and been tweeting um, about a little city called Baltimore. Why don't right. you fill us in what's going on there just a little bit? It was really interesting
0: over the weekend because uh, there's always I always uh, I'm, I'm not in tune enough to the political landscape to always know, like, why did he write that? Like, where did that come from? And so uh, it was really a, um, a criticism of Representative Elijah Cummings, who represents a large portion of Baltimore. And uh, he wrote. Um, basically he used some very um, pointed language to describe Baltimore and particularly the part of Baltimore that Elijah Cummings oversees. I think it's West Baltimore. Uh, he called it a disgusting rat and rodent infested mess. Um, and so people were then jumping on the tweets going, this is another racial attack. This is another inappropriate way to... Um, to categorize Americans and people, uh, but people on the other side going, well, is he wrong? Uh, is, uh, isn't this area of Baltimore actually Uh, one of the worst places to live in the country. And we're sorry that people do have to live like that, but shouldn't they be asking their representative? Why is it like this? And so it became very partisan. I'll shock you with that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It became very partisan on both sides. The Baltimore Sun wrote a scathing editorial uh, towards the uh, Trump administration. But then there's other editorials, and you and I have tried to be very even-handed in our reading about this on both sides, and people going, well... You know, it's it's a it's a Democratic run city for ages and, and generations. And it's in this place. So maybe the president is making a good point. And really, uh, I want to get to what do you do with this eventually? But it's really been uh, this is this week's Twitter war where, where Donald Trump, President Trump writes a tweet and then people on both sides volley it back and forth for a week And it gets really ugly. And uh, that's what this one was about this time. And I should say, Elijah Cummings uh, is the senator, I believe, the representative. I hope I get this right. Who oversees uh, the oversight committee. So think in terms of the committees who've been really hounding Donald Trump and his administration. Uh, So it wasn't part part of their job. I mean, that's 100 percent. My point in bringing this up is to say Uh, I don't think this was written where Donald Trump said, I'm really concerned about Baltimore. Let me tweet about Baltimore. I think it was more, I want to take down Elijah Cummings. Let me write about Baltimore a little bit for more background.
1: Okay, yeah. So that may or may not be true. I don't know that we'll ever actually know that. And you mentioned we want to talk about what do we do with this before we do that. uh, I want to listen to CNN correspondent uh, Victor Blackwell, who responded to the tweet initially and uh, gave a pretty emotional response. We're going to hear that and then kind of dive in afterwards
0: crime infested and breeding concept infested he says the president says about congressman cummings district that no human would want to live there you know who did mr president i did from the day i was brought home from the hospital to the day i left for college and a lot of people i care about still do there are challenges no doubt but people are proud of their community i don't want to sound self-righteous But people get up and go to work there. They care for their families there. They love their children who pledge allegiance to the flag, just like people who live in districts of congressmen who support you, sir. They are Americans, too.
1: We'll be right back. Okay, so that obviously was an an emotional response, particularly from someone who has lived in the area uh, that Trump is referencing here, and as someone who grew up outside Detroit, who has family in Detroit, Mm there is a visceral closeness to some of that sentiment for me. Yep. Um, Because you'll note even part of what, what Blackwell didn't say was that there isn't a crime issue. Mm -hmm. And I think if given more time, maybe he would actually recognize like, yeah, there are all sorts of problems in our city. Part of my struggle with the tweet war is that, sometimes even true things are said with no empathy Mm. or with no tact and we sometimes will say well if it's true it's true it doesn't matter how you say it and i just don't think that's true now obviously there's i mean not surprisingly right like like you said the divide the partisan divide has just ripped wider and wider and wider and um there's a lot to be said about calling a place rat infested and then did some Mm. digging and it turns out there actually are a lot of rats there. But to then say things like no human would want to live there when there are humans living there and want to live there. Yes. I'm sure there are plenty that are trying to get out and can't, but I'm sure there are even more. that are saying, no, this is our city. Yeah. We care about this community. And that's, that's where it starts to get really messy for me because Mm. And again, there's so many cards that are so easy to play and that that seems to be where I, I get really frustrated because there's no you know real room for this dialogue. But I think like Baltimore, for example, ranks number one for robberies and number two for murders. Uh, many of the other rat infested cities also rank high for violent crimes. Their infrastructure is crumbling. The middle class has largely abandoned them. And this is an article um, from a fairly conservative source saying, yeah, there are there are some real actual issues here. And in a lot of these cities, um, where there has been problems for a long, long time uh, they're run by democratic governments. So Mm -hmm. I, I, and again, maybe I'm overreaching here. I, I wonder if there isn't something to be said about, Hey, can we have civil discourse and talk about infrastructure issues without using insults, without showing a lack of care? Yes. That's like that to me seems so important. It's like, we kind of give this pass. We're like, Well, if he's right, then it doesn't matter how he said it. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that I'm not even just saying for the president. I'm saying for anybody. I'm saying for yep. there's all sorts of there's a couple of pastors who've been trolling Trump's Twitter account who are spewing some of the most hateful, yep. vile things I've ever seen. And their Twitter handle literally says pastor so-and-so yeah, or bishop yeah. so-and-so. And I'm like, is that the best use of your resource? Yeah, I'm yeah. not excusing anybody. I'm just saying you can be right in the wrong way. And this seems like another example of something that has all sorts of undercurrent and side energy and ulterior motive and ultimately just lacks empathy. I just, I, I, along the lines of what
0: you're saying, it just is so tiresome that these things are done to make political points on both sides. Instead of all of us going, okay, what do we do about ball? What do we do about what's going on there? Mm. Uh, Whether he's, you know, so much of the news now is about, Donald Trump's tweet and then it's on the other side about is Elijah Cummings a good representative and back and forth. How about we go, what are the issues that are causing it to be the way that you just described it to be or that are causing, you know, parts of New York City or Chicago or whatever else it might be? When are we going to get to the point where it's like, okay we as a government are going to put things aside and we're going to try to figure this out so that these places don't exist in the greatest nation in the world. Right. Yeah, like, right. How do we get to that point? But instead it's going to be back and forth about tweets and about representatives. And you know what? Baltimore's probably going to be the same way in six months to a year. And, and until we start getting serious about, about trying to fix things.
1: Well, and how, how do we have a conversation about some of the I institutional or systemic issues? Because in some, in some sense, like Trump actually has a like the stand on to say hey, some of these cities that once were great booming cities actually under certain kinds of leadership are really struggling. And here's the data and here's the statistics. That's that. I think that's a that's the groundwork for a discussion. Yep. But the tweet stuff about. You know, rat infestation or no human want to live there or. And again, it's Bernie yep. Sanders too. Bernie yep. Sanders was equating cities to, you know, third world countries. Yep. That's not good rhetoric either. Yep. I'm not excusing any of it. I just think have we become so in love with the clickbait retweet yes. power that we throw any sense of tact out the window as long as it as long as it gets media. Right. As long as it gets yep. play, it's it's worth doing it. And maybe and scores, I don't know. scores political point. I mean, right. you and I are both discouraged exactly. by it. Cause I'm really discouraged by it. I think Baltimore,
0: this area of Baltimore is a really uh, struggling, bad place. The question is was it brought up on both sides to make political points and to start this back and forth or to say, hey, now let's all gather together and let's try to fix this. And and we'll
1: never know the motive, but I I can still stand here, though, at least for now and say the rhetoric needs to to get better. We need to do better. And I think that we can. Yep. Coming up next, I want to talk with Brian about a conversation that I had with some friends who were with us from Kenya for half a year and some observations they made about the types of words that we, as Christians in America, tend to use and the ones that tend to shy away from that's what's coming up next here on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life hey everyone welcome back to you guessed it the common good that's where we are that's well that's where we are that's who we are Uh, are we at the common good Uh, i guess if you're saying welcome back to the common good yeah i don't know (laughs)
0: place or identity that's a good question mm, the ontology of this statement john's just
1: shrugging at us i don't know what you guys are doing right now this isn't good radio um all right so one of the things just here going, hmm. huh, i would love for someone driving on the road and they just crank it on and they're like Hmm. hmm, here's a half hour of guys <laughs> thinking, <laughs> thinking out loud. Thought bubbles on the radio do not work well. <laughs> they don't translate nearly as well as we think they do. Uh, so you can find us a couple of places. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, mm-hmm. 1160hope.com slash the common good. Plus, wherever it is that you find your podcast. If you already do listen and like and subscribe. Uh, thank you so much. That really does help us out a lot. And uh, I actually mentioned this, I think a week or two ago. And as I was driving home from the studio, I thought, oh, I want to talk to Brian more about that. Cause I think it's an interesting concept. So yeah. here's, here's the setup. Um, I'm a part of community Christian church uh, started by Dave and John Ferguson. And uh, it is a multi-site church in Chicago. But a decade plus so ago, they also started a church planting network called the New Thing Network, now led by the wonderful Patrick O'Connell, who's been on this show. And that's now 2,600 churches worldwide. It's this really massive, crazy Absolutely. church network, church planting network.
0: Even when I hear them talk about it's what crazy. they're
1: doing, I can't I can't get my mind around it. It's I unbelievable. Yep. And it, it's really cool because it keeps this kind of global sense of the church kind of out in front all the time. I mean, I'll just be walking through the lobby and I'll hear Patrick say, well, yeah, Kenya is ready to plant. And I'm like, <laughs> "What? where do I work? This is crazy. So that's yeah, funny. as a part of that, we often will have residents who will spend a couple of months with us at the yellow box. And uh, we've had people from Brazil and from Germany. And a couple of years ago, uh, a couple of friends of mine, Charles and Chero, uh, we're here from Nairobi okay. and, uh, they spent six months here and they were staying with a, a lovely woman from our church and got them a car and they were doing a residency, just kind of, you know, learning and absorbing. It was like, a, it was like a, like a placement program for, for a season. And, uh, so I became really good friends with them. So they were sitting in one of our writing workshops. And, uh, so as we've mentioned before a couple of times, all of our sermons are written collaboratively. And that's a whole other story for another time. It's this really lovely, in-depth process. Yeah. So they were, sitting in the room as we were brainstorming a sermon and someone was kicking around the idea of really landing on the idea of God's power in one part of the sermon. And, and we were kind of waffling like, ah, should we, should we not? Should we? And Charles kind of raises a hand and he speaks up. He says, it's crazy to me that you guys are even debating whether or not to talk about God's power. And then he said this, and this is what I want to ask you about. He said, where I'm from, we talk about God's power all the time because we feel so powerless. And what I've noticed here is that you Americans often talk about God's presence because you feel so alone. Mm. And I remember hearing him say that thinking, wow, there's an observation from a guy who wasn't raised here, had never been here before, and was just observing our language and the way that we wrote and the way that we latched on certain ideas and maybe ignored other ones that idea that we man the church in africa we are talking about god's power all the time because we feel so powerless and i hear you american christians always talking about god's presence i think because you feel so alone yeah what do you
0: think about that i think it is such an insightful thing a couple of things when you first told me about that quote that jumped out to me uh one was how uh i don't even really have the mental framework i think to, I would love like if he were sitting here, I would say to him, can you explain to me more the feeling of powerlessness? Oh, interesting. Like what that is. Right. Like I, I know it conceptually. Right. But I've never felt probably powerless as the as he's meaning. It. Right. Right. Uh, and so that proves his point a little bit. Right. Like I'm like, what? What exactly are you even? You can't even put about? a finger on it. Yeah. Right. And he's
1: like, oh, it's my whole life. And
0: when I when also when you shared that quote, my thought was I so often in my sermons go back to the to God's presence. No, you do.
1: So this, this applies
0: to you then the time. No kidding. I'm I, I can't if I had a nickel and if anyone out there is from my church and listening, they're probably going to laugh at this. If I had a nickel for every <laughs> time I use the phrase, something to the effect of. And God said, I'll be with you always. Yes. And he said, I'll be with Which you. Which is always. biblical. This is not biblical at all. None right. of this is bad. But I when you said that it was not just, oh, do we do we? I'm like, oh, no. Uh, to the point that I've often in my own mind gone. Do I need to say that again? Oh, interesting. So i I'll constantly talking about, and so I think he's a hundred percent right. Hmm. And it does make me wonder what would it look like? Uh, what is the Avenue or what is the way to speak of God's power uh, to our culture? Yeah. Like he's right. going, Listen, we feel powerless in Kenya. Right. Uh, people need to hear it. Uh, There's so many different avenues to go down, but I wonder, what did you guys do with his, his thing? Did it, did you end up talking about his power, God's power in that sermon? Maybe you don't remember that one specific sermon. I honestly, yeah, I don't how even know. Would you, how do you speak of God's power in this culture where we don't
1: really feel powerless? That's a great question. Uh, and this, uh, you know, I can't, this obviously left an impression on me because this was more than a year ago mm. that I remember just sitting in the room thinking, Oh, I'm gonna have to chew on that for a while. Yep. Like that's because I'm I'm with you, man. Need I, a radio show for that one, <laughs> yeah, right? Just to process my feelings, because I talk about presence a, a, a lot. And even just earlier in the show, when we were talking about you know mental health. That yep. was that was a big thing I landed on. That we are we are better together. We yep. are meant to do this thing together. The most common command in all the scripture is "Do not fear," because it's almost always linked to this phrase: "For I am with you." Yes. Jesus is God Emmanuel, God with yes. us. So like that that kind of makes my heart beat fast. Just that idea, because I see so much. Isolation and so much loneliness now the Power thing is interesting Because when you really think About the initial Very beginnings of the church the audience That was most likely gathered were people Who were pretty powerless yes you're talking about Slaves and outsiders and People kind of at the bottom rung Not, not exclusively but mm-hmm. in Large part and I wonder If in our context And we're a part of you know Maybe the greatest military global Superpower the world has ever seen is it possible that for you and I to have only ever swam in these waters that we might actually miss some of the main narratives of mm-hmm. the power of God in scripture? Because like you were saying, I wouldn't even know how to put a finger on. Fi- now, obviously we, we felt power we've been bullied yeah, before yeah. or we didn't get a promotion that we wanted, or we felt like organizationally something was, you know, awry, like, those are versions of powerlessness, but like what he was talking about and I could see it in his eyes was a very visceral, different kind yeah. of powerlessness. And I thought, why do I so shy away from that? Because if you were to ask me point blank right now, do you believe God is powerful? Like, yeah, absolutely. That's not a, it's not a theological hurdle for me, but it is something when you think about, there's something to be said about the words that we keep coming back to as yeah. preachers, as churches, as academics, as theologians. And it says something about what we value or what we fear, I mm. think. And I, I do wonder why, like, it, when was the last time you really heard a, a sermon that emphasized power? And how do, how did that make you feel? Like, I, the, Can you remember a time? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I was also just
0: thinking about when I talk of power from the pulpit, it's often about the miraculous. Stuff that there's no chance that we could do. Right. But I don't think that's. That's part of what he's talking about, yeah, but I, I don't but not think exclusively though, yeah. because I don't think you and uh, I almost said you and I, I don't think culturally we feel the need for God's power to make it day by day, uh, to God's power to survive Yeah, God's right. power to endure. So we don't think so. At least exactly. We think no, that we're masters I'm of not our own saying destiny. We don't need right, it. I'm right, saying right. we don't, it's easy to go through our culture and, and not think that we need God's power to do X, Y, Z. So we end up jumping yeah, or I end up right. jumping to the things Well, I need. We need God's power to heal. We need God's power to do stuff that's completely out of right, my realm, whereas right. he probably is talking at a completely different level. At a systemic level, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it also does raise the point, like, I, you and I are both talking about it, like, it's just a given that our culture is lonely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't think either of us read that quote being like, what? We don't talk about God's presence <laughs> yeah, right. because we feel so lonely. <laughs> like, I think we're both going, yeah, man, you're right. 100%. Like, we have
1: a culture... Uh, where increasingly loneliness is an issue. Yeah, and I think the fact that he picked that up so quickly, Yeah. Um, I mean, it makes them just, I think, great pastors. Again, they're the pastor of Trinity Chapel in Mombasa, if you're ever out that way, or if you want to support or donate anyway, Like two really, really great minds, great church leaders, great uh, hearts and people, and I was grateful for, it. and again, this isn't even really the point of the segment, but yeah. for me it was like the importance of making sure that we are intentional about surrounding ourselves with people from different contexts who have read different books, who are taught in different schools. Like I will never forget this interaction, but I never would have had it if we didn't have a resident from Nairobi in the room with me. Right? Like it's easy for just Brian and Ian who we lived, we grew up in yep. slightly different context, but yep. we're still, you know, white evangelical you know suburban church pastors it's so valuable to like swim in the waters of people who are like man i love jesus but my experience has been totally different because i've never stopped thinking about that and it's actually it's actually been a challenge for me to think okay what are the ways in which maybe we need like you were saying to to better articulate god's power not just in the big and miraculous but like in in sustaining us yep. breath by breath right yep. now and i just think that is that's always important to kind of keep at the forefront. And the challenge for us as preachers is probably a both and. Yeah. Power kidding. and presence are yes. both such important doctrines to be Absolutely, talking about. Absolutely, man. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Brian Fromm. Name this artist. Modest mouse. Is, I don't need anything else good to happen today. My day is made. That I mean, that was the only thing I could guess. Right? Well, but last time you couldn't remember the good modest part. Point. I was like, mouse. It's mouse something. Indecent mouse. Mighty mouse. Mighty, <laughs> mighty. Yeah, the band is, I think, that might be trademarked, actually. Uh, okay, so if you think that you just joined a conversation, in some ways, you have. This is called The Common Good with Ian and Brian. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, or wherever it is you get your podcast you can listen to us at twice the speed or like my wife and i've been doing is listening at half the speed no you haven't and we sound insane we <laughs> that is awesome please just promise me at some point this week with your family i will do it take two minutes pick us a, pick a, just a, a segment at random and listen at half the speed your children are going to love it. I guarantee it. That's really funny. We, okay, we sound we sound bonkers. It's well, really insane. I will do that. Okay, so last segment, we were talking about words a little bit, and in particular, some observations that my friends from Africa were making about uh, words that we use in the church and as pastors and words that maybe sometimes we shy away from. And so to kind of piggyback weirdly off of that, uh, I want to read a different story for you here, and this premise may surprise you it may not uh, I'm wondering how you're gonna feel about this the headline is this uh, people who swear are good friends huh people who swear a lot are good friends what do you think of that i'm I'm intrigued I, I would like to hear more okay well, I hope, John, are you, uh, you ready with that bleep button get over ready. there? That's, get ready yeah. for the dump button. <laughs> <This is laughs> get ready for it. It is about to get inappropriate. Okay, so it opens with this. It says, it's an uh, it's known for a fact that people who use swear words too much are frowned upon and considered as uneducated and rude. But it seems that we've been mistaken all along, and this assumption is completely wrong. It's not uncommon for intelligent people to look at the world and society around them in a different way, quite the contrary. To our surprise, according to the latest research, they are also prone Prone to using profanities and even be creative at it much more compared to regular people. It turns out that highly intelligent and educated people swear much more then dumb and less less educated ones. Wow. We, uh, we tend to distance ourselves from people that swear as we believe that they simply lack the language skills to express themselves in a politer way or have a limited way of thinking. But according to Kristen Joy and Timothy J. psychologists, it's completely the other way around and they've done a study to back this up. According to their findings, the required skills to make up new swear words is linked to high fluency and language skills. Individuals with high IQ scores are both fluent And have a more versatile vocabulary, which means they're prone to creating new profanities. What do you think of that? It's it's wild. They they also say
0: that in addition to their intelligence, people who swear more tend to be more honest as well, which makes them better friends. This kind of uh, you and I have talked often about how I, I and you and I were both raised in the church, kind of the evangelical bubble subculture. So for me, like I still can't not that i'm aiming to but i still can't swear like i still feel like at all um, it'll every now and then but it feels like lightning's going to come down what's my an point.
1: environment where you might be most inclined to By myself in the car but like I, anger I, or like excitement like blank yeah or is it more like i hit my thumb with a hammer is like a, as that one that more one anger okay okay uh or shock value but that's a whole different level uh, wait, wait, wait 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 wait! You just
0: said by yourself though. So what's no, this? No, but like if, if I'm like with my wife, now I'm gonna get myself in trouble. <laughs> and just like out of the blue, swear. Be, what? What? mean? just happen? to get a reaction out <laughs> yes, of her? Got it. Okay, because you're the pulpit uh, <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> during baptism and exactly. a wedding, right? But like, I still swearing to me is still a big deal, and I I'm, I get that's just how I was raised. So then I read stuff like this, and I'm like. Yeah, but a good Christian doesn't swear. So what uh, are we talking about? You know what I mean? Like yeah. so, it's like why? You know, but this is really interesting that people who swear around you are better friends because they're willing to be more honest. They probably have higher intelligence.
1: Well, yeah. Okay. So let me let me I'm get just there laying a bit. my cards and just going. I uh, it's still. It's nothing that I will ever embrace. We'll put it that way. And we were raised in very similar environments, and I think we've ended in two different places. (laughs) This says, in addition to their intelligence, people who swear more tend to be more honest, like you were saying, which makes them better friends. These findings come from a study that analyzed hundreds of thousands of Facebook status updates. It goes on to say, in addition to all the above, we have to mention the crime case studies, which looked into the assumption that honest people swear more than dishonest ones. They discovered that innocent people who are suspected of a crime swear much more than guilty people who are trying their best to deny The accusations against them Moreover people who use profanities during testimonials Are observed as more credible So a couple of things I want to talk about Because uh, I think this is a really fascinating Discussion especially For Christ followers and You know I did a sermon years ago uh, we were in the book of James and we were talking about this freshwater, salt water. Uh-huh. And I had shared, I think I've even shared this story, how I was, you know, driving and I was listening to some worship music and I was singing Latin <laughs> zone someone cut me off in traffic. And like instantly it was like fresh water, salt water. It was, <laughs> it was a very yeah. uh, like visceral example of that. But I was talking about the difference between cursing and cussing and how, uh-huh. uh, and I was listening to this interview with, with Paul David Tripp, Dr. Paul David Tripp, yep. who talks about for the Christ follower, the Bible elevates, what, what how we're to behave in the world mm. way beyond what culture depicts or expects. But he says the Bible speaks not of vocabulary, but of intention. Mm. He says it's, it's it's way less about like this list of words is good. This list of words is bad. And the example that I gave was it it all happened in one day. Uh, I invited a friend to church who'd never been to church before. Mm. And after the sermon, he ran up to me and he goes, bro, that was the bleepity, best bleeping, bleep, bleep sermon I've ever bleeped Holy cow, that was bleeping powerful. He's shouting this in the back of the auditorium. And I'm like, hey, th- uh, thanks, man. Let's, let's, let's tamp that down. But what was he doing, though? He wasn't cursing yeah. me. He was, yep. he, he was using words that were maybe not appropriate in that context. Yep. Later in that evening, though, we had a, like a little talent show thing in our church, and somebody was on stage, and they were doing very poorly. And I, I heard a couple of ladies, veterans from our church, and they were kind of mocking them, and they said, oh, bless his heart. Now they were saying bless words. Yes, They were using the vocabulary of blessing, but you and I both know they weren't actually
0: no, they were saying
1: words of blessing. There was mockery. So how do we make this distinction? If it isn't just about vocabulary, if it's actually way more about intention, I think that changes the discussion entirely. And I, and again, I really uh, applaud your particular conviction, Yeah. but like as a pastor and a leader and a father, how does that inform the way that you instruct the people that look to you for leadership?
0: Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate you saying that you respect it and, and look up to it. It's really just it's old baggage, I think. <laughs> that I that, you think it's more baggage than like heartfelt conviction? I think these things get hardwired into, right? Oh, like for certain sure. things. And and for swearing's sure. one of them for me. I do, man, I don't I'm not sure in the church. I haven't preached in a long time about the go- about gossip, you know? And gossip I would say is more destructive than, yeah, right. than, than an occasional F bomb. Uh, Both giving it and receiving it, by the way. Absolutely. Gossip can be a two-part thing. Absolutely. Sarcasm or mocking or mm. bully or whatever. Mm. Um, and so it becomes easy to say, don't say these seven words, which we know on the radio we cannot right, say them
1: right 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 um, which also is a form of legalism though when yeah. it's applied too far yeah and
0: i'm okay you know sometimes it bothers me when people feel like they've been i'm using air quotes liberated to like swear whenever they want i was like really yeah okay, that seems weird to me but is i do overkill? think i do think it highlights the fact that we probably don't focus on the f- the speech that is more destructive like
1: you said whether mm. it be gossip or um, sarcasm and belittling or whatever else it might right. be. Right. Well, I think of when Paul says let no unwholesome speech yeah. leave your mouth. The word unwholesome, there's the word sepo in the uh, Koine Greek, which is where we get our word for septic. Wow. And that image is always stuck with me. Greek than I ever was. No, 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 no pull make, out all the time. T- <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I just, I'm just, I'm remembering nuggets from years past, yeah. but I thought of like not to get too graphic, but what's a septic tank full of? Yep. It's full of things that were at one point life-giving, you but wanted, now are toxic. You wanted me to say the word. I right don't there. want <laughs> you to say that. Please. T- I mean, it'd be fun. But you know what I mean? Like, it's filled with things that were at one point yes. life-giving, and now we're not. And he's saying, hey... Uh, he, what he's not saying is these are the words you don't say, yep. and then speak however you want to people. He said, "Hey, your words are meant to bring life and identity and purpose. Don't let septic words mm. leave your mouth." And when the first time I made that connection, I thought, "Oh, I already know some septic words that I use." And I'll be honest, many of them are not swear words. Yes, they're septic though, and even if the other person isn't aware of them, it's not even just how I talk to people. It's often yeah. how I talk about people. Mm-hmm. And if if Paul David Tripp is right, it's actually far less about vocabulary and far more about intention man i got some hard work to do because there's some there's some dancing that i can do but still have a very very poor intention with the words that i say or even how i say them right like if i if you say oh way to go einstein i'm (laughs) not i'm not praising you for your intelligence i'm using that to denigrate and i think Man, with social media and all of the ways that we have to interact with each other, it's very, very easy, I think, to get that flipped. Yeah, the book of James has some really serious things to say about the power of
0: the tongue. And it's not just about the seven words we're not supposed to say. Well, and yeah, the power of the tongue and
1: also how easily overlooked it is. Like the small rudder on a huge ship, right, yep, or a yep. small spark in a huge forest fire. We might think they're inconsequential, but they actually have. I think, tremendous impact. Huge. Speaking of tremendous impact, we're going to wrap the show up the way we always do with some interweb insanity here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everyone. That wacky music can only mean one, maybe two things. It is the end of the show, which means it's time for... Interweb and sanded. I thought you were going to join me. I thought <laughs> <For sure. laughs> I'm looking at you. You're just st- i was like, okay, well, that's weird now. All right, so here's here's the here's the gimmick, here's the deal. Uh we end the show with six stories that our executive producer Keith Conrad selects for us. We have not seen them. He's uh, installed sound effects that we have not heard, which sometimes it's hilarious, sometimes is troubling, sometimes it's sort of just a shrug moment like, oh, I don't understand what just happened there either way it's the same way that we end the show every day and i always get just a little bit of like junior high jitters racing for this part of this this part of the show is always a little nerve-wracking yep. so watch do you kick us off brian i think he's now
0: doing he's trolling me a little bit by the first one is always florida he is trolling. Every you, time but sure. the first one's florida <laughs> man steals cash then calls an uber a Davenport man stole more than a hundred dollars from a woman, fled, and then called an Uber, oh, according to law enforcement officials. <laughs> Didn't have a getaway vehicle. <laughs> Jose Quinones, age twenty, posted a place, Posted a PlayStation for sale on the online marketplace app Let Go. He met up with a nineteen year old woman just after midnight, uh, but to sell it to her, but that's not what happened. Happened. I just had a guy snatch a hundred dollars from me and run, said oh, the victim. Gosh. She had a hundred and six dollars in her la- she had a hundred and six dollars in her lap. Jose walks up. He says to himself, self, there's the $100. He reaches in, grabs the $100 and runs, said the sheriff. Uh, And this time he called an Uber and a Lyft. Deputies found him in an Uber car and arrested. That was really stupid.
1: That's probably our most played sound oh, there effects right there Alright, this one's Norway. Norway Ooh, fancy Cruise ship passenger dressed in a clown suit Sparks massive brawl on board Oh gosh Passengers abroad a No broad Passengers aboard <laughs> A and o Britannia cruise ship Uh, purportedly used furniture and weapons after a brawl broke out on the last day of a week-long trip to Norway's fjords. According to reports, a passenger dressed in in clown attire sparked the massive brawl in a buffet area, that checks out, which left six people, including three women and one staff member, with significant bruising and cuts. Oh my word. The cruise ship was sailing from Bergen in Norway to Southampton, England. Onlookers fled in fear during the violent affair, which occurred early Friday morning during a black-tie evening of heavy drinking, there it, is, and patri- there it is, and patriotic partying on deck. Good morning, Britain journalist Richard Gaseford, uh, who was on the ship, said on Twitter that the brawl was caused after one passenger took offense to another person dressed as a clown, according to the BBC. Hey you, let's fight. They was fighting words.
0: <laughs> I don't even know what that's from. Nope, New York. It's not from New York, huh? next story. Oh. Okay. A big <laughs> asteroid snuck up on Earth, whizzed by. I didn't think you were going to say asteroid. <laughs> The Earth had a surprise visitor Thursday and not a welcome one. An asteroid big enough to earn the nickname City Killer from astronomers whizzed by at a close distance. And it wasn't detected soon enough to take any defensive action had that been necessary. Uh, They likened the pass by of Asteroid 2019 OK. Asteroid 2019 OK. That's what they named it. (laughs) It's clever. To having a baseball whistle by your ear as you walk down the street. The asteroid is about 330 feet wide and came within 45,000 miles of Earth, or one-fifth the distance to the moon. At its closest point, it could have been visible with binoculars had the asteroid struck it would have landed with the force of a large nuclear weapon or about 10 megatons of tnt two astronomy teams picked up on its presence on wednesday but by then it was too late and we didn't see this thing coming well our object collision budget's a million dollars that allows us to track about three percent of the sky and begging your pardon sir but it's a big sky (laughs)
1: An asteroid is okay. Uh, Pennsylvania. Driver replaces broken taillight with red sports drink bottle. I love this picture. You got to find this picture. Colorado police say driver tried to replace a broken taillight with a red sports drink. Denver news station KMGH-TV reported that. Uh, Longmont police stopped the driver Monday, who placed a drink, uh, red uh, colored w- bottle drink. Red. Red colored bottle drink. Red colored bottle drink. Where his car's rear light should have been. Authorities say the driver was on his way to get the taillight fixed when officers stopped him in Longmont. 80 80, Officials say officers didn't ticket the driver, who was seen repairing his car later that day. You nailed it. You nailed it. Ironically, I did not nail that. No, you did exactly. not. But the question <laughs> is.
0: Why is that Denver and Longmont in Colorado? And it said it's from Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's very surprising. Yeah, (laughs) it's very surprising. (laughs) You don't seem very surprised by that. I'm not. I'm not surprised at all. Last one, North Carolina woman's Amazon box birthday cake goes viral. Mm, a tasty. North Carolina woman bir- woman's birthday cake is going viral after her husband had the bakery model it after her favorite thing, an Amazon box. This how, is awesome. romantic. Waylon McGuire went to Sweet Dreams Bakery to get the custom made cake for his wife, Emily, a frequent Amazon customer. The cake was modeled after an Amazon box, complete with the company's logo and a shipping label. I laughed so hard, I thought it was a real box at first, Emily said. McGuire said the cake cost about $50 and tasted as good as it looked
1: oh, hell nice. well, isn't that, nice? that picture looks just <laughs> like an Amazon it's pretty body. impressive I'm not gonna lie man this is a never a dull moment on the common good <laughs> hope you join us tomorrow we're gonna tackle mental health we're gonna tackle Fortnite. we're gonna tackle the psychology of giving up and a whole lot of other things that's what's coming up tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. here on the common good on AM 1160 hope for your life